0: Hello and welcome to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. This week's episode from August 23rd to August 29th, 1970. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and each week... We take a trip down memory lane back 50 years and report on all the hockey news from that period of time. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of our two sponsors, the Breakwell Brewing Company in Port Coburn and Newspapers.com. Newspapers.com is the world's largest online newspaper archive and their support has been crucial to our research. They enable us to find all the great news stories we bring to you each week. The Breakwall Brewing Company is located in beautiful downtown Port Colborne, Ontario. The folks at the Breakwall produce amazing craft beers, many of which are are made from recipes that were around in the late 1800s during the first uh, breweries that were in Port Colborne at that time. Uh, When all the pandemic stuff is over and people are traveling freely again, I'd love to meet any of our listeners for a beer and a burger at the break wall last week we announced uh, our new patreon account and this week we provide a gentle reminder that if you wish to access our bonus coverage which will be coming up this fall uh, you can subscribe to us at www.patreon.com slash hockey 50 years but as always Our Friday podcast will always be free, but we have some very interesting bonus content that subscribers will have access to. Hope we get to see you with our bonus episodes. Last week, we had a few interesting stories we gave you. We talked about Derek Sanderson's deteriorating relationship with the Boston Bruins, and all the evidence seemed to indicate that the Boston team may just be getting tired of Derek's act. We wondered if a trade could be in the offing. Milt Schmidt told us that he had tried to trade Derek, but there were no takers, at least for what Milt felt was uh, an adequate return. We learned more about the issue of indemnification of the Western Hockey League by the Vancouver Canucks and the National Hockey League. Uh, Figures of up to 1 million and even more were being discussed. And we also found out most of the details that uh, were contained in the agreement that had been reached already by the NHL and the American Hockey League. And during last week's show up, we t- reported on Lefty Reed, who was the curator of the Hockey Hall of Fame, located on the CNE grounds in Toronto in 1970. Lefty told us about some new displays and renovations that had take pl- taken place at the Hall of Fame. Sadly, this week, after last week's episode had been recorded we learned of lefty's passing he was a great guy and truly responsible for getting the hockey hall of fame off the ground in the early days and of course leading to what it is today this week national hockey league training camps and training camps for all of hockey for that matter were drawing closer as we reached the end of august or at least the last couple of days Uh, here are some of the stories we were looking at For this week 50 years ago. There were a lot of player signings around the NHL. But many of the top stars were still without contract. And there were only a few weeks before training camp was about to begin. A really interesting story that I had uh, a lot of feeling about at this time. Two former National Hockey League stars who had been banned from hockey for life back in the 1940s had those lifetime suspensions lifted and were allowed to participate again in organized hockey. We'll tell you who they are. And the Pittsburgh Penguins, we're finding out, are in real financial difficulty. And we have the story, as well as some idea of what the future might hold for the Penguins. We don't know whether it was the team or an individual that was really having the problems. We'll try and get to the bottom of it. We have a lot of other hockey news and notes for this week. A very heavy news week. We'll be concentrating mostly on news this week. So let's get to it right now. We begin with news and notes. There just seem to be a lot of smaller stories but everything that kind of sets up the 1970-71 season due to begin in October. So we want to get you on a good footing for this season with all the developments that were taking place. We began this week with news that the Oakland Seals had signed four players a veteran of the team and three rookies, one of whom was very promising. Veteran right-winger Norm Ferguson inked a one-year deal with the team and became the first of the Seals regulars to have a contract for this season. After a disastrous season last year in which he netted only 11 goals after 34 in his rookie campaign, Norm is really eager to get back on the beam and have a big year for the Seals. The rookies who agreed to terms with the Seals were uh, forwards Don O'Donoghue and Joe Hardy, who spent much of last season with Providence of the American Hockey League, and a young defenseman named Ron Stackhouse. Stackhouse is kind of the big get for this group for the Seals. He was drafted in June from the Peterborough Peets of the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Series. This kid has size and a booming shot from the point, but he's He'll need to work on his defensive skills if the Seals uh, are going to have him in their lineup this season. We'll say one thing. Rod Stackhouse was one of the better defensemen on the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A League last year. And my betting is that he can probably make this team out of training camp. Now, here's a hockey story we actually hadn't heard up until now, 50 years later, but it did appear in at least one or maybe several newspapers around the continent during this week in 1970. As you know, the Buffalo Sabres had announced that their top farm team in their first NHL season would be hosted In Salt Lake City with the Western Hockey League Golden Eagles. Well, right after that announcement, General Manager Coach Ray Kinesiewicz announced his resignation from the team. Immediately, lots of candidates' names began popping up, such as uh, former Vancouver Canucks General Manager Coach Joe Crozier. Crozier, of course, friends of the Buffalo general manager, Punch like They're very close. But here's a part of this scenario about who would take over the hockey operations in Salt Lake that we and a lot of people didn't hear about at the time. While the Golden Eagles had a working agreement with the Buffalo Sabres, the team's owner, a fellow by the name of Dan Meyer, apparently had an agreement to retain the right to bring in his own people to run the hockey operation. I'd imagine that any hires that uh, Meyer would have made would have had to meet the approval of, of Punch Imlac, but we don't know for sure, but that kind of leads to why the Crozier story was out there. But this story might indicate that Meyer had a more of an autonomous operation than a lot of people thought. Meyer apparently decided to go big or go home with his hockey team and his coaching search. Or maybe this was just a publicity stunt by a minor league small business and we don't really know for sure. Nevertheless, it was reported that Meyer approached former Boston Bruins coach Harry Sinden with a firm offer to coach the Salt Lake City Golden Eagles Western Hockey League team. I don't know whether he laughed or he scoffed or what. He apparently thanked Meyer for the offer, but he of course did turn it down as history would show, saying that he had no plans to return to hockey and he was happy with his position in private business. Meyer said that he had 42 men apply for the uh, Golden Eagles coaching position and most of them had absolutely no shot at the job. Well, that's to be expected. One fellow who might be a great choice, was recently retired National Hockey League left winger Ron Murphy. He's from Hamilton, Ontario, and he last played in the NHL last year with the Boston Bruins. Ron was to be interviewed during the upcoming week. Meyer commented, though, however, that his personal favorite for the position was not yet available to be interviewed, meaning that Meyer must try and seek permission from whatever NHL team that this mystery man was under contract to. Uh, Remains to be seen just who's going to end up with the Salt Lake Golden Eagles and will be their coach as a farm team with the Buffalo Sabres. Here's an interesting number out of the city of Philadelphia this week that indicates the popularity of the National Hockey League Flyers in that city. The Philadelphia Flyers, now going into their fourth year of operation, have sold over 8,000 season tickets. By contrast, the National Basketball Association Philadelphia 76ers have a whopping 25 season subscribers at this point in time at the spectrum so what we've learned is at least in one national hockey league city they have a greater love for the nhl than they do for the nba but keep in mind the real love of the sports fans in philadelphia was probably at this time college basketball and the philadelphia eagles as so often took place during these times, as hockey be, ice began to be available in the summers, there was a midsummer exhibition game last week in Cranbrook, B.C., where the hometown Royals downed the Kimberley Dynamiters by a score of six-three. This is a game between two Western International Hockey League clubs, basically on a par with the OHA Senior A uh, League. What made this game? particularly notable this week was that professional players Orland Curtinback of the Vancouver Canucks and Bill Cowboy Flett of the LA Kings suited up for Cranbrook and of course that gave them an edge over Kimberly. Curtinback fired a pair of goals for the Royals while Cowboy Flett scored one himself. A little bit of Port Colburn news this week, dear to my heart, of course, and won't be the first Port Colburn reference we make, but former Bruins and other NHL team scoring star Bronco Horvath is back in hockey. He has signed on to coach the Cape Breton Metros of the Maritime Junior A Hockey League, and we're glad to see Bronco back in hockey. Here's an interesting little move by the Pittsburgh Penguins and we'll have more on them in just a little later in the show. Penguins president Jack Riley says that the Ted Reeve Minor Hockey Association's teams in the Metropolitan Toronto Hockey Association will wear Pittsburgh Penguins uniforms this season and the teams will bear the name the Ted Reeve Penguins. The story also mentioned that Toronto boys wishing to try out for any of these Ted Reeve teams ranging from tight to juvenile can call a number listed in the newspaper story. Kind of an interesting situation, a rival NHL team going into Toronto and sponsoring an entire association. These associations were like neighborhood associations all under the umbrella of the, uh, Tr- Metropolitan Toronto Hockey Association. We have some Charles O. Finley news. We talked about the Seal signings earlier uh, today. Well, Charlie Finley, the Seals new owner, wants to put player names on the back of the Seals sweaters. Up until this time, the Stead Old Guard of the NHL had rejected this idea outright, citing, of course, lost program sales. However, now that Finley has made the suggestion the league is polling the rest of the owners to see if there's sentiment for allowing names on the back of the sweaters that's got to be galling to los angeles king's owner jack kent cook he pushed for this uh, right from the beginning when his team came into the league in 1967 and of course he was rebuffed by the rest of the nhl board of governors with no discussion now all of a sudden It seems to be on their radar. A little more from Charlie Finley. Uh, The NHL now says it's going to allow its players to wear colored skates this season. However, they won't be able to do this on an individual basis. You won't have a Derek Sanderson with his white skates while the rest of the Bruins skates are the traditional color. All players on a given team must wear the same color skates or nobody can wear the skates at all. National Hockey League President Clarence Campbell says that four of the league's teams have made application to wear the decorative boots this year. As everyone knows, the prime mover behind this innovation is Charlie Finley. Now, a lot of this uh, news we're talking about is, is coming out of the National Hockey League Board of Governors this week, which was held at the Royal York Hotel in Toronto Charlie was making a lot of noise. Here's a story again. 50 years later, I'm reporting it, and I really hadn't heard it before. Uh, Another idea from Charlie was something he directed at Jack Kent Cook of the Kings. Finley suggested that he wanted to stir up a little state rivalry between the two California teams, the Kings and his Seals. He thought that each team should change the name of the team. The Seals would now be called the Northern California Seals, while the Kings would be known as the Southern California Kings. It didn't take Cook and the rest of the NHL Board of Governors to put the kibosh on that silly notion. And a little bit of L.A. Kings news. This doesn't have anything to do with the NHL meetings. Veteran defenseman Larry Kahan of the Kings found himself spending the night in a Vancouver jail this week when he failed to heed a warning from police to refrain from driving his car because he had been consuming alcoholic beverages. Police apparently saw Cahan driving erratically, stopped the car, and rather than arrest him right on the spot, the officers decide to give Larry a break by suspending his license to drive for 24 hours. They wanted to call him a cab. He said he didn't need a cab. He'd walk home. But a short while later, of course, police saw Larry driving his car a few blocks away. This time, they stopped the car. They arrested him. They took him to jail. And Larry was charged, not with impaired driving, but with driving under suspension. Still a bit of a break for Larry. But nonetheless, he could have got away without having anything on a record. Now he's going to have something there that he's going to have to pay fines for, for sure. Montreal Canadiens general manager Sammy Pollock was busy this week. He signed six players to 70-71 contracts, inking new deals with the Habs. Our goalie Rogachem Vashon expected to be the club's number one netminder again this year. Defenseman Serge Savard coming back from that badly broken leg and veteran Terry Harper. Veteran forwards Henry Richard and Claude Provo signed. Both of these guys have been regulars in Montreal since 1955. And the last signing of the week just before the weekend was big center Peter Mahavlich. And he's expected to be a significant contributor to the Habs this season. Three Toronto Maple Leafs signed their contracts this week as well. Center Jim Harrison, winger Terry Clancy, and defenseman Brian Glennie. That brings to six the number of key players that Toronto General Manager Jim Gregory has put under contract this year. But there's a couple of players that are important to the Leafs that have not signed yet. With the toughest of them to be signed, Captain Dave Keon. Dave is talking about a big raise this year. And after having fully recovered from hernia surgery, we'll have to see just what, uh, general manager Jim Gregory will, will be having pay Keon. Uh, already under contract are Norm Ullman, Jacques Plant, and Ron Ellis, who signed last week. And that does take a little pressure off the Leaf's second year general manager Jim Gregory. 've got a little bit of bad news this week. They announced that 20-year-old left-winger Brian Spencer, who showed up well during his debut with the Maple Leafs last season, Brian suffered damaged knee ligaments while instructing at a British Columbia hockey school this summer. Brian's left knee has been placed in a cast, and at this point, It's not known if he'll be able to participate in the Leafs training camp, at least at the beginning. So I'll have to keep an eye on how Brian Spencer recovers from this uh, knee injury. Another National Hockey League young prospect was a hockey school casualty as well this summer. While standing beside a net at a hockey school in Oklahoma City, that's where the Bruins uh, Central League farm team is located, a uh, Boston goalie hopeful Joe Junkin was struck in the eye with a puck he was immediately taken to hospital and initial reports indicated that Joe's entire hockey career could be in jeopardy a few days later the Bruins announced that that was not the case and Joe would be at the Boston training camp in London Ontario in September as planned we hope Joe is going to be okay The American Hockey League, Baltimore Clippers, have been looking for a coach all summer. Apparently no end of uh, applicants for that job as well. Several candidates were actually brought to Baltimore by General Manager Terry Reardon to be interviewed. Reardon, however, just didn't see a fit with any of the guys that he spoke with. And he finally this week, though, announced he had found his coach and he really wouldn't have had to go very far to find him after all. As it turns out, Reardon announced that Terry Reardon himself would become the Clippers coach this season and he would take that on in addition to his general manager duties. Rudy Migay was the Clippers coach last year and he did a good job but he was moved by the Pittsburgh Penguins to their Central Hockey League team in Amarillo, Texas. Rudy will also be assisting general manager coach Red Kelly of the Penguins at their training camp in Brantford in September. The Minnesota North Stars announced the signing of defenseman Tom Reed but general manager Ren Blair figures he's going to have issues getting left winger Danny Grant to agree to a new deal and when you hear what Blair is thinking and what Grant's thinking you can see where there might be an issue. It sounds like Blair is looking at a pay cut for Danny Grant who scored 29 goals last year a pretty good total in the NHL but that was five less than his 34 he had in his rookie season Blair cites the fact that Grant scored 14 of his 29 goals on the power play last season and that his defensive work at even strength diminishes his value to the team You have to remember, though, Danny Grant's argument is going to be that only 16 National Hockey League players scored more goals than Danny Grant did in the 69-70 season. We'll have to see how this one works out. Another outcropping of the NHL meetings in Toronto this week with the Board of Governors. The National Hockey League provided the media after the uh, meetings with its entire exhibition slate of games for this fall, 71 in all. Those 71 games are scheduled to be played all over North American continent, covering 34 cities from Norfolk, Virginia to Victoria, B.C. National Hockey League training camps begin in the second week of September with Toronto and Detroit opening on the 9th in their home rinks of Maple Leaf Gardens and the Detroit Olympia. The latest camp opening will be five days later on September 14th when the Blackhawks get underway at Chicago Stadium. Another issue the governors dealt with at this uh, very busy meeting this week was the trading of amateur draft picks. As you know Many NHL writers and executives have complained that the National Hockey League expansion teams have damaged their progress by trading draft picks to the established teams. Scotty Bowman of the Blues even complained about it, then traded his pick to the Boston Bruins when he figured that Jim Lorenz would be a better player than anyone he might select with the ninth pick in the draft. Well, as usual... The NHL wanted it to look like they were doing something to curtail all the activity. But in the end, it's as usual what we see from the NHL. They're just playing with words. The governor's rule that in the future, all trading of amateur draft picks, quote, must be recorded. Of course. Weren't they recording them before? Didn't they keep track of who picked where? We haven't seen any snafus at the draft last year. What the Board of Governors is so worried about it up, up until now, teams would make trades where the famous future considerations were included. And often these considerations at the time of the original transaction weren't designated. Now, of course, you have to say the future consideration is going to be a 39th round draft pick. Well, it doesn't go 39 rounds, but you get the point. This isn't going to make a difference. The NHL expansion teams will still continue to trade draft picks and the established teams will give them some tired old veterans for superstars. You're going to end up with a great, great player at some point ending up on a team like Montreal. Hockey must be the greatest sport in history to have survived here in 2020. It must be the greatest sport in history to survive the people that run it. Yet another note from those board of governor meetings, and the governors will be happy with this. The league and the CBS television network in the United States have agreed on a two-year contract whereby the network will televise Sunday afternoon regular season and playoff games. A whopping total of 13 games will be televised by CBS between January 10th and April 4th. Of course, these telecasts will not begin until that date in January, and that's all because they have to avoid an unwinnable competition with the National Football League and their usual Sunday telecasts. The great sports columnist Joe Falls of the Detroit Free Press has an interesting report this week. Joe says that Red Wings great Gordie Howe, will likely become the first athlete to play for a Detroit sports team to achieve a yearly salary of $100,000. Falls reports that 42-year-old Gordy will soon sign a pact in that amount for the Detroit Red Wings, it'll be a two-year deal after which Gordy will hang up his skates and probably become either a coach or an executive with the Red Wings. If you were with us last week here, we talked about the uh, renovations at the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. Well, the very next week, the hallowed hall inducted four new members, three players and a builder. Going into the hall as players are Tom Johnson, who is the new coach of the Boston Bruins. Tom played his best hockey with the Montreal Canadiens mainly in the 1950s. Cecil Henry Babe Dye was one of the National Hockey League's earliest scoring heroes with the Toronto St. Pats. He once scored 174 goals in a span of 170 games. Babe also coached in Port Colvern with the Port Colborne Sailors senior A team in the 1930s. Longtime NHL defenseman Bill Gadsby was also inducted this week. Bill starred in the NHL for Chicago, New York, and Detroit. And the builder who was inducted was Quebec resident Bob LaBelle who is the first French-Canadian ever elected as president of the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association, a post he held from 1955 until 1957, and we congratulate all the new inductees in 1970 Hockey Hall of Fame. The expansion Vancouver Canucks are going to be short on talent as both they and the new Buffalo Sabres uh understand and they're looking for help anywhere they can. The Canucks best player in the Western Hockey League last season was veteran right winger Andy Bathgate who of course had a stellar career in the NHL with the New York Rangers won a Stanley Cup with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, the Canucks would like to have Andy back this year but there's a little snag in that plan. Andy's NHL rights are held by the Pittsburgh Penguins and general manager the Penguins coach Red Kelly isn't about to let an asset like Bathgate get away even at Andy's advanced age. For his part, Andy hasn't let anybody know what his plans for the upcoming season are, whether he wants to play or not. Uh, one of the stories going around this summer was that Andy was going to team up with former Western Hockey League Canucks general manager coach Joe Crozier to be in a group to purchase the Western Hockey League Seattle Totems. That deal did not come off so Andy right now is in a little bit of limbo as is Joe Crozier. We don't know where either of them are going to land this season just yet. And here's a hockey news item that uh, meant a lot to people in my area this week. The National Hockey League President Clarence Campbell announced that the lifetime suspension meted out to former National Hockey League players Billy Taylor and Don Gallinger had been lifted and the two will be welcomed back into organized hockey. They had been banned from participating in any organized hockey because they had been caught betting on National Hockey League games and consorting with known gamblers. Gallinger's from my longtime home of Port Coburn, Ontario, and it's said that he was a more talented player than the Maple Leafs legend and fellow Port Coburn resident, Teeter Kennedy. Taylor and Gallinger were expelled from the NHL on March 9th, 1948, when it was revealed, they had been betting on National Hockey League games earlier during that season. Taylor, at the time of the suspension, was 29 years old, playing as a regular with the New York Rangers. Gallinger was only 22 and was a highly regarded young player, a center with the Bruins. The NHL had uh, somehow obtained evidence on the pair by way of a telephone wiretap on Detroit bookmaker James Tamer who became acquainted with the pair. Tamer was one of these guys who sort of insinuated himself into their circle of friends and he got them to start betting on the games. Billy Taylor readily confessed to Clarence Campbell at the time but Don Gallinger remained silent about the whole affair never admitting his involvement until 1951 that's when Don's uh, father passed away and at that time he uh fessed up to the whole thing to Clarence Campbell Conn Smythe the former owner of the Toronto Maple Leafs was a, a strong advocate for reinstatement for the pair and he became a very uh strong proponent of it after running into Taylor at a sports banquet in Oshawa in the summer of 1970 now Taylor was still in the area uh, allegedly in Owen Sound Ontario but Gallinger was unable to be found to be notified about his reinstatement into hockey most people thought that Don was now living in California A few years ago, during one of the many afternoons I'd spent with Ted Kennedy at his home during his retirement in Port Coburn, uh, the subject of Don Gallinger came up, and uh, Ted was good friends with Don. They played right around the the same era in Port Coburn. Teeter told me that Galley was an even more talented hockey player than he was, but he seemed to have a thing for betting on nearly everything. Ted told me that if Gallinger had been allowed to have a full National Hockey League career, we would be remembering Galley as one of the great ones. I spoke to a great many of the old-timers from around Port Coburn over the years, guys who were involved in hockey, and uh, to a man. They all said that Don Gallinger was a tremendously gifted hockey player, great shot, wonderful skater, one of the best that many of these guys had seen at any level of hockey. And to have a man like Ted Kennedy, who was never known to embellish anything in his life, give Gallinger such an endorsement really does make one wonder just what kind of career Don Gallinger might have had and what a difference he have made to a Bruins franchise, especially through the heart of the 1950s when the Bruins were one of the NHL's sad sack teams. During this week's show, of course, we've been mentioning various news items that came out of the National Hockey League Board of Governors meeting in Toronto. They were small potatoes compared to what the purpose of this meeting actually was. The most pressing matter before the governors was the future of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yes, just after getting done with the National Hockey League Oakland Seals problems, another franchise is now in trouble. It was revealed last week that the Penguins' principal owner, Donald Parsons, had suddenly resigned his position with the Detroit Bank and followed that up with talk that he might just sell the Penguins in the not-too-distant future. So what's going on in Pittsburgh? It wasn't only the fans that wanted to know it this time. The NHL governors were greatly troubled by these developments as well. But as usual with the NHL, nothing is what is seen. The truth is rarely known, and uh, it wasn't clear exactly what was going on with the Penguins. And it certainly seemed like we weren't going to get the whole story from the Board of Governors or Clarence Campbell. But by now, of course, hockey fans are getting used to that. The big headlines that uh, were dominating a lot of the uh, news stories from these meetings were the Penguins are going to stay in Pittsburgh. Well, that's great, but you got to wonder, how did it actually become necessary to put out a story with a headline like that? And Campbell did that several times, uh, quoted in numerous outlets. Here's some facts thanks to great reporting by Jimmy Jordan of the Pittsburgh Press and Dan Proudfoot of the Toronto Global Males along with several others. Bruce Whitaker in one of the earlier reports, uh, he was a spokesperson for the major shareholders of the Penguins, declined to say how much the owners are asking for the team which is now officially up for sale. The team cost about $2.5 million in 1967, $2 million for the franchise fee, and another half a million for the various expenses. Uh, Donald Parsons of Birmingham, Michigan, is the present owner of the Penguins. As we mentioned, he owns 40% of the team, and Whitaker said that Parsons is under some pressure from lenders to improve his liquidity. Whitaker said that as a hockey club, the Penguins were negotiating with the Mellon Bank of Pittsburgh on their loans with them. Now, the Mellon Bank is the one that holds loans by Parsons to get to buy the team. And of course, the Penguins as well. Whitaker said the bank lent Parsons and his, um, uh, partners money to finance the team in 1968 at about 3.5 to 4 million dollars. Whitaker didn't quote the exact amount of the loan, but what he did say was that three and a half million dollars remains to be paid and the loan is coming due he said the Parsons group owes the Detroit Red Wings a portion of the five hundred thousand dollars awarded to the Wings as part of the original expansion deal the Pittsburgh Hornets before the Penguins had been the Red Wings farm team the Wings owned that franchise and they were forced out when Pittsburgh came in and that was indemnification to the Red Wings of course we've been talking about that with the western hockey league in vancouver and buffalo so basically what's going on is donald parsons can't make the payments on the loan he needed to buy the team so he's got either refinance or sell the team but really who is going to want to buy a team like this the attendance has been abysmal in pittsburgh they've really been having problems and uh they haven't been drawing flies at all especially in the last two seasons there was a bit of good news shown this spring when the penguins made the playoffs and had a good showing and some pretty good uh, crowds at that time but the nhl finance committee really doesn't like what's going on in pittsburgh and answers are going to have to be found fairly quickly Thanks to Dan Proudfoot of the Toronto Globe and Mail, we learned what the NHL Finance Committee was actually talking about. Uh, Clarence Campbell told Proudfoot that they were just examining the possibilities of the team which is in limbo. Uh, The reason that they're doing it is because Parsons, who is a member of the Finance Committee, didn't show up for the meeting. He arrived later in the evening after the meeting was over, and he had expected to attend the governor's meetings the very next day at the Royal York Hotel. Campbell said that the league was fully aware of Parsons' money problems. He said that we'd been reading about them uh, for months in the financial newspapers. But, Campbell said, the league was not aware of whom they're doing business with or whom the Penguins are negotiating the sale of the team with. Parsons, of course, made everything sound that it's going to be just fine. He confirmed in another interview that the club needs new capital, but they have a number of ways of raising it. uh, Nothing that's going to interfere with the operation of the hockey team. Parsons said, emotionally, I would prefer selling a small portion of the team, but economics is another thing. The people we're talking with tend towards buying our complete interest, and that's 40% of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Right away, speculation arose all over the place that the Penguins, once sold, would probably move to another National Hockey League city. Right away, the city of Baltimore came up. They'd applied for an NHL franchise in 1967, but rebuffed, and there were people in Baltimore who immediately began exploring the possibility of buying the Penguins and moving them there. But those in the know in the NHL suggest that the arena in Baltimore is not National Hockey League caliber and there's no plans for a new rink in that city at this time. So right now, time is of the essence. The the uh, Baltimore people don't have a rink to play in. They're not going to get the Penguins. Jimmy Jordan, the intrepid hockey reporter of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, reported first that the team would remain in Pittsburgh and Campbell later confirmed that several times, in fact. Jordan's story has it that a local group of people consisting mainly of the original ownership group of the team, probably less Senator Jack McGregor who left with a bad taste in his mouth, were trying to get the cash up to reacquire the team with the idea of reinsuring that it remains in Pittsburgh. W.D. Dick George III, a stockholder and member of the original owners group, said that he and several other Pittsburghers were trying to obtain Parsons stock. George said that he and several affiliates already have made a bid to the Mellon Bank in Pittsburgh to obtain that 40%, and the bank was interested enough to say that they would consider. A fair offer. So as our week drew to a close, here was the bottom line. People in Pittsburgh say that it's the owner of the team, not the team that's in financial difficulty. It's only Parsons. This doesn't affect the team. And a Parsons, they say, is removed from the picture. The Penguins are going to be just fine as long as whoever acquires Parsons 40% can pay the bills. Of course, this doesn't take into account the team's really awful attendance figures and less than stellar product that's being put on the ice throughout the first three years of the franchise. However, let's remember on the hockey side of things, making the playoffs and putting up a good showing in the postseason last spring has got to help rekindle and enhance interest in the hockey club. In Red Kelly, the Penguins have one of the best coaches you'll find and someone who has the makings of a very good general manager. But in today's NHL, you need all that and substantial financial resources to be successful, and this ownership problem has to be resolved quickly and with the right people becoming involved, or the Penguins could end up on the move. But for now, the NHL is going to keep the Penguins in Pittsburgh, Good idea or not. That's what they did with the seals. And those stubborn governors are going to do that with the penguins as well. One more news item this week, and it comes out of Detroit. We mentioned that Gordie Howe was going to sign a two-year contract with the Red Wings, according to Detroit Free press sports editor Joe Falls. Well, one other thing came out that's very curious. New coach Ned Harkness, he of Cornell University, in his first experience in the pros, is going to ask Gordie Howe to play defense this season. Ned Harkness thinks it's a great idea, for Gordy Howe to play defense. The greatest right winger in the history of hockey, probably the greatest player in the history of hockey so far, is going to be asked to switch positions at age 42 and play defense for the Red Wings. Is this a good idea? How's Gordy going to feel about this? How are the other players going to feel about this? How's general manager Sid Abel going to feel about this? A brand new coach, fresh out of college, is coming into the pros and he's going to put his stamp on this team for better or for worse. Will the Ned Harkness regime be for better or for worse with the Red Wings? That remains to be seen. So that's our show this week. Uh, What did we learn in the past seven days of the National Hockey League and the hockey world in 1970? We learned that some of the details on the financial woes of the Pittsburgh Penguins are not very good, and that team is in trouble, but we don't know for sure what's going to happen other than the NHL wants the team to remain in Pittsburgh. We learned of the lifting of lifetime suspensions of two NHL players from the 1940s, including how the career of one of them, only 22 at the time, might have turned out thanks to some words from an NHL legend. And we learned that new Red Wings coach Ned Harkness wants to win with Gordie Howe playing on defense. Harkness figures this is a good idea, but will Gordie? You gotta wonder what other radical plans does the former college coach have for his first venture into professional hockey. Next week we have the following stories for you. Two unnamed NHL players are found to have ties with Mafia figures. A long-time Toronto Maple Leaf will be traded next week. We'll tell you who he is, where he's going, and what the Toronto Club will receive in return. And Ted Green will get the verdict in his assault trial arising from that incident just about a year ago in that exhibition game in Ottawa in which Ted suffered that fractured skull and of course we will have much much more the 50 years ago in hockey podcast is produced by andy cole and i can't thank andy enough for all the effort he puts into this project the very popular juno nominated toronto indie rock group the rural alberta advantage provides our intro and exit music and if you get a chance to see them perform live You have to take advantage of it. They put on a great show. Other musical pieces and sound effects are done by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from files from the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail, and of course the many fine publications found at the uh, newspapers.com website. You can find us on Twitter at at hockey 50 years and on Facebook under 50 Years Ago in Hockey. We have a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. And of course, we're on YouTube and wherever your favorite hockey podcasts can be found. Don't forget our our Patreon account. We'd love to have some folks being able to take advantage of the bonus episodes we have planned for this upcoming season. And on that note... Thanks very much for tuning in, everyone. We love bringing this to you every week. We can't wait for next week's show. Should be interesting, as guess what? We're finally going to be into September. We'll see you next time. When the ice break.